for some, you, 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 that's God's will for you, an Olympic star, but God does care about our bodies. He wants us to be healthy. And uh, we've been talking in recent weeks about God being in our everything, and today we're going to talk and, and look at our physical life. This area just simply has a major impact on our experience and our living, and many of us struggle with this in different ways. But I love the hopeful spirit of the prayer that we find in, in 3 John 1, verse 2. Listen to this. It's a good blessing. I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Talk about a, a great holistic prayer, God's blessing on us, body and soul. Now, there, there seems to be three common attitudes that we have towards our, our bodies. First of all, you can reject your body. You can perfect your body, and you can neglect your body. Uh, reject your body. Some of you may be doing this. It's like, send it back, God. <laughs> you, you made a mistake. You, you look in the mirror, and you say, you goofed up on this one. No thanks. You're, you kind of reject your body. Another approach is the opposite extreme. This is something that you probably bump into here in Vancouver. It's you perfect your body. We're known in Vancouver as a, a fitness-obsessed, food-obsessed culture. We're the, the land of Lululemon. And, and so uh, perfect your body types are constantly striving towards perfection, and, and it kind of gets to one extreme. Then there's a third category, neglecting your body. Many of us do this. We ignore our health, being careless about our condition, and we drag through life kind of feeling tired most of the time. What's the right attitude towards our body? Don't reject it. Don't perfect it. Don't neglect it. A healthy approach is to respect and to protect our bodies. In, in a few minutes, we're going to actually explore three uh, helpful ways we can actually do that. But why bother? Why does it matter? Well, there are all kinds of physical reasons, and we'll, we'll touch on those soon. But let's start with the spiritual. Why might caring for our bodies matter in terms of our, our relationship with God and, in, and also, in a, in a way, honoring our, our own selves and being whole as people? Well, to be honest, sometimes we, we are motivated to care for our bodies out of uh, self-centered and vain reasons, but at other times we're motivated to steward our bodies for the honor of God, and this is kind of the spirit of what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. He invites us to do this. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's take a moment to pray. God, it seems when we come to church, we're only considering matters that have to do with heaven <laughs> and not earth. But uh, you bring heaven and earth together in a, in a a mysterious way, and we're made as embodied individuals. Help us to learn how to honor you with our whole selves and with our bodies especially. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here in Romans 12, when, when Paul, as I said, off, uh, urges us to offer our bodies as, as a living sacrifice to God, Paul's saying, offer your whole selves to God, including your bodies. A few weeks ago on the message on sex, uh, we looked at 1 Corinthians 6 where, where Paul says this, 
Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In, in these texts, Paul's saying that we're to, in considering God's mercy, in, in view of God's mercy, he says, in, in light of the fact that God has been incredibly generous to us. I mean, think about it. God, 2,000 years ago, he became a human being taking on flesh and blood. Then God, in, in Jesus, in, in the flesh, as a 33-year-old, he gives up his life on a, a Roman cross as a sacrifice, absorbing into his own body our sin and, and our shame so we could have a, a new slate, clean slate with God. Paul says, in, in light of in light of that gift, in, in light of the, the fact that you've, been, you've given your life to God and, and you've been redeemed by the, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, you've been bought with a price, the price of Jesus' own life, and then in light of the fact that if you've given your life to Jesus, your bodies are actually temples of God because God's Spirit lives in you. You're a temple. Paul's saying, out of gratitude, in light of all these things, out of gratitude for that, give your whole selves, including your, your bodies, to God. He says it's worship. Now, uh, when Paul was writing these words, um, inviting us to give our bodies to God, it was a time when, when people would have been heavily influenced by Greek thinking. Um, it, it was common in that day to believe the spirit is good, body is bad. Spirit is good, body is bad. But that's really out of sync with Scripture. Our bodies and our spirits have been tainted by, by sin, but Scripture is really clear that, that God created us good. You know, you know that great scene in, in that creation poem where where everything, after everything was created, after man was created, it was good, God said, very good. Uh, God becoming man, the, the first Christmas, I think, is the ultimate affirmation that, that our bodies are good. The fact that when we die, uh, our resurrection bodies, it'll be a body. We'll be embodied when, in, when we uh, are, are on that, in that afterlife. We're told that God will redeem us. He'll raise us up on that final day. And that's another confirmation that our bodies are fundamentally good. And Scripture is also so clear that, that we are holistic beings. Our body and our soul are fundamentally tied together, fundamentally connected. You ever notice that when you feel bad physically, it affects you in other ways? I had, I had a cold this fall, and it lasted for like a month. And I didn't just feel bad physically. I got into a kind of an emotional and, and spiritual funk at the same time. I just didn't feel great. Our body and, and soul are, are that tightly connected. I think it was uh, Shakespeare who said, it's hard to be a philosopher with a toothache. I think that's true. So our spirit and our body, our body and our spirit are connected. That's why it makes sense that, that God in, in the scriptures cares not only for our spiritual needs, but he cares for our physical needs as well. Let me give you an example. Elijah, great scene. We read it as a family, this story in, in uh, First Kings this week. Um, big sort of battle between good and evil on, on the top of Mount Carmel. And, and Elijah, the prophet of God, kind of has this incredible victory for God. And he comes away from that incredibly depleted. And he's off in the wilderness. And, and before God ever does anything to encourage Elijah spiritually, he would do that eventually in a fairly profound way. Before he did any of that, what does he do? He, he, he uh, wakes, he, he uh, gives... Elijah, two wonderfully long sleeps, and then feeds him freshly baked bread, and it says a jar of ice-cold water. I don't think it says ice-cold, but I just envisioned that. 
It's a beautiful scene. Freshly baked bread. God providing for him. And then we see this beautifully in Jesus' ministry. Do you remember Jesus? We, we think of him, he's the greatest teacher ever, but what did he do as he taught? He cared about the physical needs of people. He fed the hungry multitudes. He healed their bodies. When people bumped into Jesus, he didn't just care for them as souls. He cared for them body and soul. I love this scene when, when Jesus and his disciples were busy doing a lot of good work. And, and you can just tell the disciples are, are exhausted and weary. And, and Jesus doesn't say to them, give them a little speech like, work harder. What does he say to them? Come away with me for a while and get some rest. Just I love how, how human Jesus was. How, how he respected the humanness of, of both himself and of his followers. God cares about that part of us. And then when we have communion in a few minutes, we're going to invite our, our elders and prayer team to, to be available at the front. It is right that we expect, when, as we come forward and, and, and remember Jesus' sacrifice, we remember his, his love for broken people, that we can expect that as we bring our need to him, we can, bring our, we can boldly bring our physical needs to him. If you're sick, we're called to pray about it. If you have a need, you're called to bring it to God. Actually called to, you're actually called in Scripture to bring it to the elders. That's why we bring, bring these opportunities. So I encourage you, you will not be rejected by our Lord. He might not do exactly what you want, but he will meet you here. We can expect that because Jesus never turned away a broken person ever. He won't today. And then there's just this great fact. I think you guys need to remember this. God created you, and he created your body. Uh, I love the, the Psalm 139, which says, uh, you have created me in my mother's womb, and I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of us think that we're more fearfully than wonderfully made. But, but what the Bible is saying is, is you were like a cathedral. Um, I loved visiting cathedrals when I traveled in Europe. And uh, one of the things, that, I don't know what it is, it, I, I don't think people get that sense when they walk into this room. This, this church building is not necessarily a cathedral. It's got interesting architecture. But the cathedrals I entered in, I would stop m- much of the time and go, wow, the artistry and the beauty and so forth. And, and you're like a cathedral. You're meant to be, a, your body is meant to be a, a bit of a signpost. You're, you're an image bearer of God. You're meant to be a, a reflection of, of, of his makeup in the world. You're like a fingerprint of God. And and so our bodies matter. That we, the fact that we care for our bodies is, a, is kind of a testimony to our world. But we're also a temple. We're not just a cathedral, empty space inside. It says we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. That means you are a sacred being. It's, a, it's really quite an honor that God cares for our bodies as much as he does. And this body, part of who we are, as we've talked about, it's part of our trellis. You know, it, it's part of of what supports our friendship with, with Jesus. And the practice of, of caring for our body is a way of honoring God. It's an act of worship. Well, let's turn to three physical practices. I like talking about these three, specifically sleeping, eating, and exercise. We're going to look at how these three, three can, can be ways where we both honor our bodies and we honor God. First of all, sleep. Some of you, anyone just love that word? Is that a good word? I don't know anyone who hates the word sleep. Uh, According to James Bryan Smith, a respected Christian professor, the number one enemy of of 
human development and Christian growth today is exhaustion. Smith says that many of us are not only living beyond our means financially, we're living beyond our means physically. Many of us are sleep-deprived. Dr. Xiang Yang Tan, a professor at Fuller Seminary, has said that we need rest now more than ever in history. He points back to the 1850s. The average person in North America slept for something like nine and a half hours a night. Um, I, I, I know that was maybe a less busy time, and they, the, the electricity, uh, the light bulb hadn't been invented yet. But a uh, hundred years later, by the 1950s, according to Dr. Tan, that number dropped to eight hours a night of sleep. Today, the average North American sleeps less than seven hours a night. According to one poll done by the National Sleep Foundation, 49% of adults, so about half of all adults, reported they had trouble sleeping, and one in six reported having chronic insomnia. So turn to your neighbor and just look at them for a second and say, you look tired. Yeah, it's, it's funny, but it's not. <laughs> you do look tired. <laughs> um, Ken Shigematsu, in his uh, research for the chapter on the body for the book God and My Everything, he looked into some studies coming out of Stanford University's Sleep Research Center, and he looked into the studies that, that said as a result of looking at that data, Ken became convinced that the number one factor in fostering health and, and longevity, humanly speaking, is sleep. Based on the research that he found, he says, suggests that it comes ahead of even eating and exercise, as important as those are. Scripture says in Psalm 127:2, in vain you rise up early and stay up late. Basically, that scripture is saying, get the rest you need. Don't rise up early and stay up late. And sleep seems to be considered to be a waste of time for some people, but sleep is productive. Studies indicate that a, a proper amount of sleep substantially increases your productivity and your thinking capabilities, not to mention improving your immune system. So how might we improve our practice of sleeping? Well, um, you have been sleeping your whole life. Uh, you do have some experience. But here's the thing you've got to know, is that we need to learn and relearn how to sleep. Um, people who sleep well are often mindful of what they do and they don't do before they go to sleep. They will often not check email or, or surf the internet or, or watch television or do things that would stimulate them. Apparently one of the worst things you can do, I used to think be, this would be a great way to wind down at night, was to play video games. Anyone play late night video games? Apparently it's not the best thing to do right before sleep. Studies show that that's probably the worst thing you can do. Stimulating, uh, and, and I'm not sure, I, my wife and I argue about this sometimes, but, but apparently even the device you choose to read from in bed can impact your sleep. You're better to read from an actual paper book or a Kindle paper white than you are to read from uh, a digital iPad or, or tablet of some kind, apparently. Sorry to burst any technological bubbles here. That's what the studies say, not me. Um, people who are mindful of sleep tend to actually... Be thoughtful about what they do just before they go to bed. Uh, oftentimes, uh, doing practices that help calm them or, or center them. Uh, for me, I, I'm finding that, that reading a book is something I do to help me wind down, to decompress. Uh, uh, reading scripture, um, thinking about God, pray, saying a prayer, 
are, are, are things that I do. But there are those kind of rituals you want to think about. You want to do those kind of things. And, and if I wake up in the middle of the night, you want to maybe have available. I, I, I uh, either pick up a, a, a book again or, or read a scripture again or meditate on, on, a, on a psalm that I know uh, in, in ways of helping to calm you down and help you go back to sleep like I did last night. Being mindful of our sleep needs is simply to choose not to burn the candle at both ends, as my mother used to tell me, right? Rule of thumb, if you're getting up early, go to bed earlier, right? We tend to think we need to squeeze every ounce of, of life out of our days, but the truth is if we're better rested, the life we do live will be better. It'll be richer. If you're a follower of Christ, uh, you ought to be able to, to sleep better than you would be otherwise. You know Why? Because you know the truth that we find in, in Psalm 127 and, and 121, we can sleep because God does not. While you were sleeping, God was providing for your needs and taking care of the world and so that you can put your head on your pillow and rest because he's in control. So the Apostle Paul says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, so I want to say this morning, sleep to the glory of God. And if you're feeling sleepy right now, tough, wake up. (laughs) If I'm awake, you got to be awake. Just shake your neighbor for a second. Just grab your, I'm serious, grab your neighbor, just give him a little bit of a, you know, excellent, excellent. Well, what about eating? I just love this. We are to eat to the glory of God too. Do I hear an amen and a hallelujah? I, I, uh, I really love the fact that God created all things for us to enjoy. I don't know if crickets he made for us to enjoy quite so much. <laughs> My idea of heaven really is a, a banquet buffet. And there'll be a little Asian section with a guy with a wok going away. And, a, and there'll be a, a guy grilling steaks over here. And there'll be mutton curry in the middle, somewhere in the center. And then there'll be heavenly hash ice cream. I think it's so appropriately named, heavenly hash ice cream. Now, now, most of us, uh, many of us don't consciously eat or even eat mindfully. There was an article last month in, in Time magazine about eating healthy and men, how many of us don't. Let me read you a, a quote that stood out to me. Just two generations ago, preparing meals was as much a part of life as eating. Now we're, we've given up what is perhaps our best excuse to get together and spot, spend time with the people we love. Mealtime. And someone else stands at the stove. Get this. We're either watching cooks on TV like we would a spectator sport or grabbing grub, bag, and eating it alone and on the go. Did you know that studies indicate that most of us get at least a third of our calories outside the home? Nearly two-thirds of us grab fast food at least one time a week, and we get almost 25% of our daily calorie intake from snacking. 25%. The Time article concludes... Shouldn't preparing and consuming food be a source of comfort, pride, health, well-being, relaxation, sociability, something that connects us to to other humans? Why would we want to outsource this basic task, especially when outsourcing it is so harmful? Eating is a gift from God, and and, and it's something we're to be mindful about. We're to show care in, in, in what we eat and in how much we eat of it. We've been quoting from a, this National Geographic study we've studied this fall. They've studied the areas of the world with the highest percentage of individuals who've lived to the age of 100 and beyond, 
and are, are flourishing. And one of the things that sets these communities apart, these, this community of centurions, is, is they are mindful about what they choose to eat. The folks in Sardinia, Italy, Linda Loma, California, and Okinawa, Japan, who were, were part of this study, were not vegetarians. They do eat meat, but their diet tends to be dominated by a plant-based food, locally produced and rich in color. As I said last week, um, I am the primary grocery shopper in my home. And you know what I've noticed? Is you can fill up a cart with fast and processed food very cheaply as compared to whole foods. It seems like the better stuff, the stuff that's better for you, just costs more money. So what do you do about that? I, I don't want to sound simplistic here, but I think a, a possible solution for, for some of us might be to pay for better food, but to have slightly less of it. That's something to consider. Another option is to, to, to book one of our garden plots that we have on our front lawn, our community garden, and grow some of your own. I mean, there's nothing like freshly grown vegetables. And, and then um, this is like, I'm going to call this low-hanging fruit, to throw it upon here, but we have veggies and organic uh, fruits available every Sunday after church. Uh, an organization, a, a, a company called Pro Organics, gives us their Saturday market leftovers, and uh, they're out there every Sunday morning. We distribute on Saturday night. A number, a number of uh, local organizations get food that we deliver, and uh, the rest is there for you to enjoy. And so it just tastes good. It's, it's whole food. It's, it's good for you. So I encourage you to, to take some home today. Uh, now to the other extreme, Ken Shigematsu says in his book that it's not healthy, according to experts, to starve yourself or deny yourself of foods that you would enjoy. So if you love chocolate, eat chocolate. And if you love it in moderation, chances are it won't kill you. In fact, eating some of your favorite foods may be releasing pleasure chemicals in your brain that can actually add to your health. At least that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And I've always thought the counsel, uh, this is good counsel, eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. Doesn't that just make sense? Eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. As is true of of sleeping, as people who know Jesus, we have great motivation for eating well and and in the ways that that nourish us. As I mentioned earlier, if we know Christ, our bodies are temples of God. God's Spirit actually lives in us, and that should inform our food choices. Eat to the glory of God, sleep to the glory of God, and exercise to the glory of God. I heard of a facetious organization called Joggers Anonymous. If you get the urge to jog, you call a friend who comes over and hides your running shoes. I think that's good. I've never had the urge to jog, ever. I'm good. Uh, in the beginning of our, of the, of our series and, and our first message, we looked at where Paul said, train yourselves to be godly. The very next verse, he says, physical training has some value. And, and I think in, in those New Testament days, in the days Paul was writing, the, the people there were very, very active. I mean, if Paul wrote today, I think he'd say physical exercise has great value. In his day, most people did physical labor, and they tended to walk everywhere. Today, many of us live fairly stationary lives. We drive everywhere. Few of us get any exercise in our work. And to top it off, we live in a very stressed-out day. I think Paul would say today, exercise has great value for us. Um, There's a fascinating story out of Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia, 
And what they did is they looked at the effects of, of physical exercise on people who had never exercised before. They, they were looking at a number of individuals ranging in age from 18 to the age of 50. Uh, none of them had, had ever regularly exercised. And what, what they were done was they were given a membership to a gym for two months and told to use it. And, and guess what happened to these people? Uh, after using their gym membership for, for two months, the, the researchers discovered the following things about them. Remember, they, they weren't asked to do anything other than use their gym membership. But the participants showed improvements in their attention and, and ability to ignore distractions. They'd reduced their smoking, drinking, and caffeine intake. Nobody had asked them to do that. They were eating less junk food and more healthy food. They were watching less TV and spending more time studying. They were spending less on impulse buying and purchases, and they were saving more. They felt more in control of their emotions. They procrastinated less, and they were less likely to be late for appointments. As, as Ken Shigematsu said when he's here, it, it seems like exercise is one of those keystone habits that triggers all kinds of, of, of good things in your life. Now, I, I've struggled with, with this whole exercise deal, I, and what I found encouraging is that exercising doesn't necessarily have to happen on a track or in a gym. Uh, I've, I've never been drawn to those types of exercises. It's, it's really about, though, cultivating an active lifestyle. You can exercise in a gym, but you can also vigorously vacuum in your home. That counts. Uh, you can go dancing, or you can play with your kids. Wrestling with your kids counts as exercise, too. Um, I, I try to kill many birds with one stone. I found when I go for walks or bike rides, I try to take that time as a time to, to think and to pray. And I use that time as a time of solitude often. And often, one of the things, funny, uh, our lives, good things compete for our attention. And, and one of my challenges is, I really value my family, and I want to be a good family man. I want to be a good father and a good husband. And it seems like being a good father and husband compete directly with being a, 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 good, a person who does exercise. So what I do is I try to bring those two together. And so I, I'm frequently, my wife can attest to this, urging the family to, let's go for a family walk. Or I've got a son who is very much like me. He hates formal exercise with a passion. And, and so he loves football. And so I say to him, I say, Let, let's, let's go through the football at the park. And we'll go out, and we'll throw it on the way, and we'll, we'll get to the park, we'll throw it around for a while, and then I'll say, let's take the long way home. And we'll walk a long, long way, and, and I'm getting exercise and having meaningful one-on-one -on -one time with my son as well. And so I'd encourage you, be creative when it comes to actually fitting exercise into your life. You can do things together that would be good for you and your family. What's the common excuse to not exercising? I've said it many times. I'm too busy. I don't have time, right? I don't have time. Let me ask you, do you have time to be sick? If we don't make time for exercise, we'll probably find time to be sick. It, it, it's how you want to spend your time. What's a common mistake? Overdoing it at the start. Um, maybe someone will walk out of here today and say, I'm going to get in shape if it kills me. <laughs> and tomorrow you'll probably succeed, or near, near, nearly so. I remember I decided I was going to be a runner, and, and uh, I went out and I ran 10 kilometers one day. And I never ran again. <laughs> I, I literally thought I was going to die. Uh, take small steps. Uh, my friend Dan, he's a runner, and, and he, uh, he, he tells me that you can learn to run, and I, I still really don't believe him, but he, this is what he says. He says, if you want to become a runner, what you do is you start with 30 seconds. You run for 30 seconds. 
and then you walk for four minutes, and then you run for 30 seconds, and you run for, for four minutes. And I don't know how it goes for that after that. that that's enough, right? Two 30 seconds, and you're done for the life? <laughs> Excellent. I think it's meant to be progressive, but I really haven't gotten that far. But uh, here's the thing, folks. God made you physical. He gave you a body, and you were made to be active. And so even a, even a walk a day can make a difference. Uh, so we have reasons to eat to, glory, to the glory of God. We have reasons to sleep to the glory of God and to exercise to the glory of God. And as we've been saying in these practices, this, this, these, these practices, the purpose of them is not so that only we'll be you know, nourished, not only so that we will benefit, but so that we can serve God and serve others better. That's, that's our call. If our goal is to experience God in our everything, then, then how we eat and how we sleep and how we exercise and so meet God in these places really matters. Ken Shigematsu, when he was here, quoted Parker Palmer a few weeks ago. Palmer said, self-care is, is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer to others. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Let's pray. How are you doing this morning with, with sleeping to the glory of God, eating to the glory of God, and exercising to the glory of God? Perhaps whether you're, you're faithfully pursuing these things or not, this morning you would say, God, I want to offer you my whole self and even my body. I want to offer that to you. Show me what this looks like for me, that I might honor you and that I might serve others well. God, we pray, take our lives, Lord, we, we ask, and let them be consecrated, set apart to thee. Amen.